Welcome to the RSVP In Conversation With member podcast. RSVP is a member community for the global luxury wedding and party industry. And every week I interview a different member. After half an hour, you'll know them like old friends. Sit back and enjoy. My guest today describes himself thus. I was born in Scotland. My father was a lawyer, as was one of my grandfathers and my brother. My cousin was a law lord and my other grandfather a doctor. My great-great-great-grandfather, William Roxburgh, was the father of Indian botany. As famous as Darwin, he built an extraordinary house in Calcutta, attached to which was a centre for cultivating herbs and educating the population. I'm involved in restoring it to create a centre for learning. This creative flair passed down through the generations. My father drew beautifully. I think that my own creativity may come from that. I was good at art at school and I've always scribbled. I enjoy beautiful things and my life has been spent looking for and acquiring lovely objects. My mother died when I was seven and I do believe that many of us have horrible things in our childhood and you can't go through life blaming who or what you are on the past. I was brought up by a wonderful nanny, always dressed in blue and white with a white apron and she was fun and taught me so many things. I was a page at her wedding, the first of many weddings in my life. I've been a best man six times. Much of my childhood was spent in the lovely Highland village of Boat of Garton. I've always had a huge affection for the Highlands and the Cairngorms and go back to Scotland whenever I can. After school, I trained as a chartered accountant. Not specially interested in this work, I used to organise the office parties and so perhaps even then my career was written in the stars. Being an accountant though has proved invaluable in this life as it shows there is something going on in your head other than tablecloths. I was then packed off to South Africa for two years and had a wonderful time. More parties and not a great deal of work. It was though there that I grew up, a rite of passage. I went there an inexperienced lad and came back a confident man. Africa is in my blood. Upon return, my accounting work continued and I was responsible for a groundbreaking case in which Gilbert O'Sullivan, the 70s pop star if you didn't know, sued his manager and was awarded £28 million. My reward though was a handshake. I needed more and I've always been interested in parties and caterings. So set up the Admiral Crichton and none of us really knew what we were doing but we eventually gained the honour of being granted a royal warrant by the then Prince of Wales. By 2014, I'd had enough of dealing with 60 staff, so I left and set up Johnny Roxburgh Designs. Personally, I live in a beautiful house by the river in Battersea Bridge in London, and my pavilion office is nestled in its gardens, surrounded by lemon, orange, fig and olive trees. A heavenly scented spot, filled with the sound of splashing fountains and classical music or cool jazz. I also have a cottage in Norfolk near Sandringham, postcard pretty in an enchanting village with its own castle and pub. For the last 22 years, I've been lucky enough to share these two houses with a man who makes me laugh, keeps me grounded, and who every day is an adventure. A number of dogs have come and gone. We have generous friends and 21 godchildren who bring us great joy. We travel, work hard, love good food, and dry martinis. Welcome. Mr. Johnny Roxburgh, the legend. What a lot of nonsense. <laughs> well, you did write it. <laughs> I did write it, yes, yes I did write yes. it. It's all true, really. Made my husband cry when I read it to him. He said, you should send that off to a publisher. That's your life in a nutshell. Let's start with Giles, because he is your rock. He's of 22 years. So 
how did you meet him? What's he like? Tell us all about Giles, because he is the sort of the person that comes to events, but obviously you are the face. Well, he's um, 15 years younger than I am. He's half Norwegian, half Irish. We met out of great friends. For, most of our friends are straight, and great friends, 40th birthday in Morocco, in Marrakesh. And um, I was staying in a place called La Maison Arab, which is the hotel we always stay in. And um, night one, I was sitting having dinner, and the placement was that he was opposite me. And I had a great triplex suite. The top floor was a, a jacuzzi and was underneath the stars. And any two girls said, can we come up and see your suite? It was so lovely. And um, Charles came with them and had a bottle of vodka. And the girls said, I think we need some more ice. Well, they disappeared and we never saw them again. And I looked into his eyes that night with a Disney moon behind his head. He's got blonde hair and blue eyes, which I'm, I've always been a sucker. Um, I looked into his eyes and thought, you know what? I'm going to be buried next to you. It was as unshakable as that. It was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had lots of boyfriends and girlfriends. Spoke into my sexuality. That been have, but I've, I've been, been, been around the block. But this was completely different. And um, so two days later, I was going to, as one does, was going to collect um, French Monopoly in Nice for a client. And um, I'd just done a party for Sting. And the, 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 there was, well, we didn't actually do it because it was cancelled because of uh, 9-11 or whatever that thing was. So there was a, the British consul owed me a great deal of money. He owed me about 80000 And I said to Jazz, I'm going to Casablanca to fly. He said, you're going to Casablanca and leave me by. Rushed upstairs, got his luggage, threw it in the back of a taxi, and I phoned up the consul and said, Mohammed, I'm late for the Air France flight. I have got somebody in my car who thinks it's going to be really important in my life. Can you get me a ticket and hold the flight for 10 minutes? And um, and he did. It was like a movie. And the car took us out to the bottom of the um, steps of the plane, and we got on and we flew home. And we haven't been apart since. It's extraordinary, really. And he's charming and fun and... Not without his, he's a lawyer. He's as bright as a button, far more intelligent than I am. But he's, um, he's got a great creative eye. At the moment, we're doing up a house in Norfolk and he's designed the most fantastic new kitchen. Um, in fact, he's supervising all the building work just now. And it's just so good when you find somebody that I like, other people like. And, and strangely, my aunt was his aunt's godmother. So our families are, intertwined and blah 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 anyway there you are that's the nutshell he is an absolute rock to you by the way he is he is a wonderful human being he's absolutely amazing let's just go back to your um your childhood now i did have to look up boat of garton on on the map it is in scotland you're quite correct i've never heard of it before but do you have a first <laughs> memory there um i mean it's it is some time ago i i do realize oh yes i yes i do i do i do um well this is all rather strange my mother and her sister, who became my stepmother in quite a random way, had been to a fortune teller and were told that um, my mother was told she would die with bandages round her head. So she was always convinced that she was going to die in a car crash. And so when we were young, my brother and father and mother and me were never allowed to travel in the same car together. It was in a kind of, in a, I don't know why, but that was there was. Anyway, Nurse Alexander and Mummy and I would always travel um, up to Boat of Garden. And it's called Boat of Garden because it used to be a boat. Mm-hmm. There's now a bridge, but there used to be a little ferry that took you across the Spey. And I remember I was always taken, I didn't know who I thought I was, but Nurse Alexander would take me to meet the engine driver before I was going to Scotland. You know, 
imagine imagine going to St Pancras and saying, are you the engine driver you're taking out? Can I come and see? Anyway, and done up like a dish of fish. I had a brown berry. I remember this very well, a brown berry, uh, a camel coat with a little velvet collar and a th- things called gaiters. And gaiters you put on your legs. Well, you wore, please don't laugh. And, and, um, and you wore shorts and you had these gaiters, which were closed with a hook and eye. They had buttons all the way up the inside of them. And I was taken out to meet the engineer, clearly a pain in the ass. And the, the fireman mm-hmm. on the train, it was all steam in those days, um, <laughs> thought what a twat I was. <laughs> and so he went, this great cloud of soot came out of the top of the train. And I was coming from head to foot in, in soot. And so I remember my grandmother was at the station to meet us with my great aunt. And um, it was about a four-hour journey. And the... I stepped off the train, sort of covered <laughs> in black soot. My grandmother looked at me absolutely horrified, and one nurse Alexander had had me in one of those little cubicles in the first class um, compartment, m- mopping me down, trying to make me look not as though I would come out of a mine somewhere. But I do remember that very vividly. Do you think you were a precocious child? Because you just described how you were dressed. No, I was no, no, I wasn't. I was a, I was a sweet little boy. My father um, tried for Scotland rugby, uh, had a blue for um, squash and fives. and was a big athletic man. My brother was the most amazing um, golfer and spoke three languages or maybe five languages, Is had it? a pilot's license. And little Johnny came along. And I was really quite a girly little boy. And um, yeah, my best friend was a girl called Sana Frude. And she and I both had high heels, which I loved. Um, this is all very revelatory. This is what you want, isn't it? You wanted to hear it. Yeah, ab- absolutely. We want all the all the the wonderful tidbits. It's wonderful. And one thing is, you were brought up in Scotland, but you don't have a Scottish accent. Did you ever have one and lost it, or or have you never had one? Never. No, I never had one. I think if you go to Scotland, there are some people who sound very. I can still do the Scottish accent. There are some people who um, sounds. It's like if you go to Ireland. There are some people who sound Irish and there's some people who just sound English or you go to Northumberland there are some people who sound they come from Northumberland and others just sound like I do I know someone who's who's as Welsh as you can get but he doesn't speak in a Welsh accent because he went to English boarding school from the age of naught let's talk about art forms because you are a very creative person do you have a favorite art form I mean your your house is a cornucopia of of wonderful pieces of of collectibles that you've um, acquired over the years, but is there a favourite art form that you that you do? I don't know. I don't know how you would describe an art form. I mean, I, I love going out and um, travelling and buying stuff. I've always been quite good at putting houses together, which has had a great financial benefit. You know, whenever I've sold my house, um, I've always got far more than the house was worth. So I managed to make it look look the business. I love music. Interior is an art form. Architecture is an art form. Uh, music is an art form. Film, painting. I love painting. I love. I I don't go to the movies very often. And when I do go to the movies, it tends to be um, sort of rather awful musicals and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And musicals is also an art form. It is. It is. That's why we did that big party where we had the whole cast for Anything Goes last year. So, if you aren't working over a weekend, do you have a favourite? where you can spend Sunday, for example? Well, if we're not working, there are two things we do. We mm-hmm. either go to Venice, which is where um, 
if I've been doing too much work and too much traveling, Giles looks at me on a Thursday and says, I've booked the flight. We're going this afternoon. And we fly to Venice and we stay in the Beauty Palace and we're there for um, you know, three days. And, and and that kind of puts me, you know, there are no cars, there are, there are too many people these days, but that's that's wonderful. And the food's very delicious. I love Italian food. Or in our house in Norfolk, we've got a, a lovely garden. And so we garden and, and we're incredibly social. I mean, I'm out for dinner almost every night. And in Norfolk, we have people come for lunch or we go to lunch and the, and then I, I try to come back um, to London on a Sunday afternoon so that I can face the, the week without, can't stand that battling down on the Monday morning. Everyone says, stay on Sunday night. No, they're not for me. I want to get back and get the washing on and, and blah, blah, blah. I don't suppose you go to, um, to see, see bands and things, or well, maybe you did in your, in, in your youth, but is there, a, is there a type of music you would go and see played live? Is that your, your kind of thing? No, no, I don't really do that sort of thing. I mean, we, we tend to listen. I mean, my my taste in music is um, when I was doing my chartered accountancy exams, I played very loudly Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto Number no. Two, which I love, and I would have that belting out. My father played the piano um, really well, and so um, before dinner every night, he would sit down and the music echoing through the house. We had a, a rather beaten up Steinway, which he loved, and and then I also loved. Um, Stacey Kent. Have you come across Stacey Kent? I haven't. She's a Canadian jazz singer. She's fantastic. She has a lovely, lovely voice. And she she has a particular track called um, Breakfast on the Morning, which is um, C'est Petit Rien. And um, if you're having a cup of coffee and a croissant, which at the moment, of course, is I'm dieting, I'm not. I've lost four kilos, James. Can you imagine have you? And I've got, an, I've got another eight to go. Tell me how to do it. Well, stop eating croissants, I imagine. Is the... Stop eating croissants. And I'm now going to the gym twice a week. I've got a very lovely trainer. He's half Pakistani and half Swedish, which is an interesting combination. And, um, mm-hmm. and I, I swim. I still drink martinis. <laughs> I'm not giving those up. But there's not much calorie in a martini. But it's great to have, it's great to have music in, in the house. But it's also, because I'm growing the business, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it um, bigger. Which I know sounds mad, but uh, at my age, I need to look to the future. And so I'm employing people to come and help me, some full time, some part time. When they were doing the plan for the expansion, the man that's helping me put a little line in and said, This cost is for you to look better, to be fitter, and to be thinner. He's good. He, He is good, but he said, You know what? Nobody wants you if you look rubbish. And and also, nobody wants you if there's a risk that you might have a hush down. Like you might get run down by a bus, but you need to be um, you need to be fit. So um, I'm involved with an old people's home called Orion's on Duffhouse Street in Chelsea, which is incredibly cheap. It's, you can only rent mm-hmm. the accommodation there, and a two bedroom flat is thirty six thousand pounds a month. Bloody hell! Um, but it's very cool, and it's got a great gym mm-hmm. and nice trainers and. It's within walking distance of my house, which yeah. I think is important with the gym. You never want to have to get into a car to go to the gym, and you'll never go. It's a bit pointless as well, it's sort of uh, from that point of view. Yes. Anyway, okay. Well, um, keep it up. That's, that sounds wonderful. It looks like your trainer's putting you through his, your paces as well, so that's good. Now, do you have a special talent that no one really knows about, but occasionally comes out when you've had a few too many martinis? Do you burst into song or? I tell you what, I love. I, I, no, I love reeling. 
I'm very, very good at Scottish reeling. Can you tell us, tell everyone listening what what Scottish reeling is? They, they may not know. It's dancing. Mm-hmm. It's dancing, and it's um, it's when you when you dance in a group of six or eight, and uh, and you have things like the most obvious one is the eights and reel, the dashing white sergeant. But there are some which are much more complicated, like the reel of the fifty first and the Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh, and that sort of thing. And I was brought up that that was the kind of thing that you did um, in the winter. Um, if you went to someone's house and, and there was nothing else to do because it was snowing or miserable or wet or whatever, and on Saturday night you would read after dinner. If you have something that's troubling you or something that you can't get your head round, learn to reel and then reel with people who know how. There's nothing worse than reading the people who don't know how to reel because that's a complete nightmare. Um, but you have to concentrate. It's the most fantastic exercise because it's fast. And you have, to, and if you can't do it, people will look at you and say, "Who is this ghastly assassin who doesn't know how to reel?" It's it is the most fun, and it's great, great physical exercise. Would you do it at a Kaylee, or is it a separate? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Yes, okay. If you want to really do it properly, one of the places to go is the Five Farms. Have you heard of the I Five have, Farms? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's a wonderful hotel, owned by that marvelous, but it's owned by Hauser and Work, and organised by that they're very talented man, new inventors. And they have Kayleys out there and very fun. Royal family are big wheelers. Oh, they? Okay. You can see online pictures, pictures of the Queen reeling at the Gillies Ball. They're up in Balmoral at the moment, aren't they, I think? So imagine they're, they're doing all that. Yeah, so, oh, they are. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. let's think about 10 years in the future. I know it's... um. <laughs> I know. Well, Sorry. this is That's... a question I'm asking everybody, but not all of them are maybe your age, Johnny. In 10 years' time, where do you want to be professionally and personally? I imagine you want to be retired, but, but actually just tell us anything different. I want to have my business still running, but I don't want to be doing the nitty-gritty. It may, of course, and nobody wants a fairy when she's 40. And um, so I mean, people might look at me in 10 years' time, and I'll be dribbling in a corner and you know, doubling continent. That might not be great from a party planning perspective. Personally, I want to be out of London, I've had enough of London with all this nonsense with new tax. They're about to they're about you know, they're about to tax us for every mile we drive. You know, it's just beyond so and the house we have in, in Norfolk is in a really pretty village. It's got a pub and a castle and and we've actually been future proofing our house for that very reason. My mother in law lives in a pile three miles miles away from us and she's eighty seven and she's trapped inside this earth. This this is a classic story. Um before last, big storm, tree fell down on the back drive of the house. All the electrics mm-hmm. went. She's stuck upstairs. Santa's there lift doesn't work. Telephone doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, mercifully, she lives alone and won't have anybody living with her. But mercifully, one of the women went in to um, see her and said to her, but why didn't you use your mobile telephone? Oh, my dear, I couldn't possibly use my mobile telephone. It's much too valuable. No. I keep it in the safe. <laughs> you keep your fucking mobile phone in the safe. Nidraz has got this room in our house in Norfolk, which is known as my death room. And it's called that because it's on the ground floor and it has French windows out into the, the evening courtyard. And it's got a fireplace and a television and um, a shower that you can push me into and hose me down. I imagine it could be necessary at some point. I do have this kind of fantasy that I might just be doing the plasma at a party and the Almighty will come along and go 
bang. <laughs> and um, I think that's, you know, when they, when they say in the obituaries, after a long illness, bravely born, that, my friend, will not be me. It's, it's not worth looking forward to something like that, I must admit. I agree with you. You want to go quickly. You don't want to go slowly. You want to go quickly and you don't want to be frightened of it. Yes. It could yes. be a big empty void or it could be the most amazing adventure of all. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But tr sadly, we won't find <laughs> out till we've, till we've started off on the journey. And the church is quite near to your home, so at least Giles can come and see you every week anyway. Uh, with his new boyfriend. So that will be, um, that'll be nice. And I must admit, um, I will be cremated because I'm going to get my ashes scattered in Selfridges because that's the only way that Melina will come and see me every week. Ah. Anyway, anyway, uh, so that's my joke for the day anyway, after yours. Uh, it's like all those wonderful women that say, Mummy says she wants to be buried in Peter Jones. <laughs> Let's go on to your culinary likes and dislikes and skills. So is there any any particular kind of food that you would that you always go to and you would prefer? And yours is the top of your like list. If we're talking about my last supper, for example, which I've often been asked about, um, and it would start off with um, black sea caviar. Mm -hmm. I would really love it to be golden Iranian. Do you know the extraordinary thing about golden Iranian caviar? When it's caught, when it's fillet and the caviar pops out. In the old days, a third of the caviar was given to the Tsar, mm -hmm. a third was given to the Shah, and a third for some inexplicable reason was given to the chairman of the Iranian coal board. <laughs> why, why would that be? I remember I was doing a, um, a party for um, a client here in Chelsea. Prince of Wales was guest of honour and we we served caviar as a first course yes, and then she called me across and said in the fridge you'll find some golden Iranian caviar. Bring it across and give it to the prince. And so I took it across, and the prince was, I mean, much younger than he is now. Um, well, clearly he was younger than he is now. He couldn't be <laughs> um, And I explained that to him. He never heard that story. Anyway, I'd have caviar. Then I would have date tartare mm -hmm. with truffle fries. And then finally, I would have Scottish raspberries. Scottish raspberries are, without doubt, the best in the world. And have that with thick cream. I have another great culinary fantasy, which is really incredibly low. Not low, but it's not smart. We go to Norway often, and my in-laws have um, an island called Hisoy, and um, we would sit in the harbour at Arendal in the summer and have a pint of ice-cold beer, mm -hmm. and with it, langoustine, oh. shelled, with soft white bread and gloopy homemade mayonnaise. Oh my <laughs> God, that's better than sex. Well, actually, that's, that's terrible. My sex is clearly shit. <laughs> Let's just imagine something. You are having a dinner party at home, okay? And there's a naked barman serving everyone martinis. Oh, yes, I'm, there we go. I'm with that. And, and, and the best chef in the world has come in to serve your golden Iranian caviar, your steak tartare with truffle fries and the Scottish strawberries. And around your dinner table, and it's quite a big one, you can have anybody there that you want, alive or dead. Who would you... You know, I'd quite like to. I'd like to have my mother. Yes. Okay. Does that sound? Does that sound weird? No, that is actually very popular to have relatives. It is. When I ask this question, I mean particularly for me, mm -hmm. because um, she was ill from the age that I was four. Mm -hmm. She had brain cancer, and hence all that business about the bandages around her head. Mm -hmm. And she died when I was seven, and um, they didn't have chemo in those days, and it was all just absolutely hideous, really. And I was dragged away. I was. Uh, I wasn't allowed to be there. Um, 
And while I have memories of her in the hospital, she she had, everybody always says their mother was glamorous. I think my, my mother was quite glamorous. But she would have these wonderful chiffon scarves, which I have to say I still have here in the house. And she'd have them wound around her head and then a fantastic jeweled sort of brooch on the top of them. And she always had makeup on and she always smelt lovely. And I have, there was a famous brand called Coty, Coty Lemon. And I have a bottle of that talcum powder in my medicine cupboard here in London. And if I get incredibly stressed, I can take it and just open the top and just about smell it. Um, I'd like to have the Tsar of Russia. Well, the last one? The one that got shot? No, the one before that. The one before that. I think that would be... I think the last one was rather hopeless. Is it, was he Alexander III, was he, I think? Yeah, exactly. Alexander III. He was the one that... Um, the spilt blood and all that sort of thing. Who else would be interesting? Well, Ernesto Bertarelli, I'd love to have him at dinner. Um, um, and can I be there and and, um, and ogle his wife all, all evening, please? But his wife's gone. Oh, oh wife's dear. Gone. Well, ex- ex-wife, though. Never mind. Anyone from film, music? Um, I think Greta Garbo would be quite interesting uh-huh. to have. Uh-huh. I think that, oh, Judy Garland. If Judy Garland could sing uh-huh. at the end of dinner, uh-huh. that would be kind of... Um, I'm also a bit of a bit of a fan of Julie Andrews. Blah blah blah. I don't know. It's all there are so many people um, that one can think. Of. Actually, I can't really think at all now, or else I would. Really, I thought it was rather. When I knew you were going to ask me, I just wrote "mummy," and um, I hadn't really thought any further than that. Digging into a huge bowl of tiramisu from Morocco and Grand Canal in Venice. Okay, that's wonderful. Wonderful. And I I do get what you say about Venice, especially the. The non-touristy parts, it's its just wonderful. And you can relax there. It's just idyllic there, absolutely idyllic. And anyone anyone listening, the place to go is the, without doubt, the Greasy Palace. Yes. Mm-hmm. They've given me the key, and um, which is very lovely. And they, they have a fantastic blood orange Negroni, which is just really... And the most delicious, delicious thing. We are all there in November, aren't we? We, we bloody are. Yes. I can't wait. Yes, that'd be good. And the terrace, the Grand Canal t- Terrace at Gritty is something special. Not very big, but you, what you see going by in front of you is is completely unique there. And it changes every single time. It's just wonderful. Well, what's also rather lovely, just along from there, there's, there's the, um, beside Harry's Bar, there's the Monaco Grand mm-hmm. Canal Hotel which used to be lovely and now has been redone by some foreigner. And um, the lighting is so bright inside the rooms, you could carry out surgery. But the terrace is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And there you see the world, you know, groups of Chinese and Indian tourists crammed into gondolas, which look like they're about to sink to the bottom they put so many people <laughs> in them. And then sort of rather dazed-looking Americans. But uh, where you then go to the, the gritty, you're away from that. You're away from that landing stage of, of, of the um, the gondolas, and you're just sitting isolated. And because it's so eye-wateringly expensive, you, by and large, don't have thousands of screaming children. Mm-hmm. And you tend to get people who look like they're perhaps somebody you might not like to have dinner with. I always think that's one of the great things about nice hotels. I, I've just been on the Queen Mary. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, that was the most fantastic revelation. Came to America. Wonderful. And we met some really amazing people. And um, somebody said to me, Oh, were the, were the people of the Queen Mary simply ghastly? <laughs> and, I, I, and I said, But well, you know what? 
when you get onto a 747 or whatever it is now, a 787, to go to New York, you don't vet the other people who are in first class. <laughs> you just sort of get on and do it. Yes. And, and, yes. and I thought, I loved it so much. We're doing it again. Um, we weren't going to do it this year because we're building, we're not doing it next year. Um, it's a wonderful experience. There is a rumour about you, and maybe you can um, testify to its accuracy, but apparently you were once on a short-haul plane in business class and somebody from the back was coming forward and and sort of asked you some questions about why do you pay for business class? And apparently your response was, because I don't have to sit next to people like you. Is that... <laughs> who, who told you that? <laughs> so, so it isn't true. It's just a, a wonderful rumour. No, of course not. Of course, I would never say anything. <laughs> I, oh, God. Do you know what I... Re- can I tell you what I really hate? No, 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 no. Let's go on to what you hate then, I think, because uh, that's the next question. I hate woke. I hate mm-hmm. woke. Okay. I am the least politically correct human being on this earth. And when I, when I did a, um, a thing for the BBC, and this was, I don't know, it, 10 years ago, and I say it as I see it. And somebody in the Times wrote, Johnny Roxford is to party planning what Arnold Schwarzenegger is to the Boy Scouts. And I just can't stand all this PC rubbish. Where are we all going to end? I, I really wonder how most of us have got to the age we are without having some nanny telling us how to do this, that, and the next thing. You've got to man up and grow up. And I think, yes, I do agree that personal responsibility seems to be going out the window. People seem to want to... It's always somebody else's fault. Yes, it not. is, yes. The government will pay for it. It's nonsense. You, you wake up in the morning and you decide whether you're putting on pink or grey socks. <laughs> So anything else that irritates you? I mean, we have this thing called Room 101 that you want to put things into. Oh, yes, yes, so, yes, yes. Um, so what else would want to go into Room 101? Room 101, thank you so much for calling British Airways. <laughs> Your call is really important to us, and we are experiencing an unusually high volume of calls. We will answer your call as soon as we can. The real speak of that is we don't employ enough people and also, we're terrified to talk to you because we won't have a solution to the problem you're presenting. And that's, every, and that's everywhere. And the thing is, you probably are BA Gold, so there's a special line for BA Gold customers, which is... Oh, yeah, but it doesn't matter. There's, I am, but they just... I also have a real horror of adult women who talk like they're 12. Hello? <laughs> Hello? Hello, can I? Yes, can I do this? I think, for Christ's sake, just talk like you're a grown-up. <laughs> oh, that drives me absolutely mad. Anything else? Yeah, I'm never entirely certain why if you have... I should really be careful how I say this. I'm going to phrase it in a different way. I think it is important that if you have a customer-facing telephone system, you have somebody who easily understands what you're saying at the other end of the phone. I'm sure you get my drift about that. All I can say is I used to work somewhere many, many years ago, and they had somebody answering the phone who sounded like she was a five-year-old girl talking. And and the owners could not see this or notice it, and and and, and I I just found it absolutely amazing that the clients would phone up and and have to deal with somebody that spoke like a five year old girl. It was just bizarre. I mean, it was like talking to, to talking to a child. My father always said, um, he had one of those wonderful switchboards which nobody remembers now. But you plugged the lines in. You know, somebody sat and they had you know, and there were these amazing women who were you know. Crossing, he always said to me, the two most important people in the business, in a legal business, the senior partner and the telephonist. Yes, correct. Absolutely. And, and the telephonist in those days 
recognized your voice and said, hello, Mrs. Jones, hold the line, I'm putting you, or, or in a boat of garden when I was in Africa, and we, and we had a, a, a switchboard in the village, and the woman at the end of the phone would say when I phoned from Cape Town, oh, your favourite's not at home, I'd call back later. <laughs> and so I didn't have to spend the money on the telephone call because they didn't connect me. We're nearly about to wrap up, but is there anything you want to share your most embarrassing moments that you've ever had professionally or personally? Anything you want to confess as well? I don't think I... No, I don't think... I mean, um, some of those things are still under judicial review, <laughs> and so I can't... <laughs> I don't know. There have been lots of things... I've said things in, in my life and I've just opened my mouth and thought, I'm sure we've all done it. You know, you open yeah, your mm -hmm. mouth and you think, why did I say that? What made me? But it's usually, it's usually because actually secretly I want to goad people into <laughs> reacting. But, you know, you shouldn't do it. You should just be. There hasn't been anything happened during the event which was very, very funny or um, or something went wrong that you fixed that, was, that could have been a disaster you nearly averted or... Uh, I imagine in your very, very long career, you've, you must have had more than one scenario like that. It's not awful. I can't. I'm not. I'm not being deliberately vague. I just can't. I can't for the moment think of think of things that have. Oh, of course, in the days of me doing catering, I remember entire courses of cutlery or entire courses of china being left behind, <laughs> or that that terrible thing when people put the vegetarian option on the menu. What makes you do that? And then suddenly, little Henrietta, who had never thought of being vegetarian but didn't much like fillet of beef, suddenly she's vegetarian. And people who are genuinely vegetarian don't get vegetarian because Henrietta and her mates are all just that. I mean, I mean, lots of lots of things um, like that. That is a bugbear of mine because we ask for dietaries, okay? Because we obviously do events and we ask for people's dietaries and. Some people say, yes, I'm a celiac or I'm a, or I'm a vegetarian. But but some people come back saying, don't like mussels. Well, they don't fucking eat them. <laughs> I mean, Rip, one, one of our prime ministers, who will remain nameless so I don't get sued, and, um, used to send out two pages of things of food he didn't like. Good God. And you just think, how do you go through life? There are two life lessons I'm going to tell you before we go. Both involved my father. One was when I was about 13 or 14, he said to me, you need to learn to drink. Mm -hmm. I'd always rather like gin and tonic. And so before dinner, he gave me two stonking gin and tonics. We sat down and we had wine for dinner. You know, I was not somebody who was used to all this. Mm -hmm. And then he said, as we're Scottish, I think you should have a wee dram. So I had a, a wee dram and I was by this stage plastered. He then peeled my clothes off and sat me in the bath. And then he said, I think you also should try a cigar. <laughs> and I had a cigar. And inevitably, I was as sick as a fucking yeah. dog. And um, clearly hosing down is rather a large part of my life. Because my father sat me in the bath <laughs> and hosed me down. And then picked me up and sent me off to bed. Mm -hmm. And... Um, he said to me the next morning, I'm absolutely certain that in your life you'll get drunk. I'm absolutely certain that you'll do it. But can I tell you now, I very much doubt that you will ever be sick again. And I would rather that you were sick with me to pick you up and not see you drowning in your own vomit than lying in the gutter somewhere. 
That was a kind thing. The other thing was, and I did this with, my, with several of my godchildren, I can't stand picky eaters. And we had a, um, a cook called Effie. Effie had a club foot and clumped around the house. She was very odd. And she made this absolutely disgusting tomato soup with tapioca. We were having a dinner party. And I sat there and this tomato soup with tapioca appeared. And I sat and I fished the tapioca. It's like, you know, it's like sort of tadpoles. And I fished it out and put it around the side of my it's, soup plate. It's, hor- it's horrible. horrible. And um, it sat there. First course finished. Main course came and went. I hadn't touched this stuff. Mm-hmm. Pudding came and went. And my father leant forward and put tapioca back on the thing. And then everybody left. And Daddy and I were left sitting in the dining room. And they all went to have coffee. And he looked at me and said, I'm sure you're hungry. I'm going to give you a glass of milk and a digestive biscuit. Mm-hmm. And I'm sending you to bed. Mm-hmm. And he said, you cannot go through life not eating food because you don't like it. Because you're sooner or later, you're going to go to somebody's house and you're a guest and you cannot sit there and not eat the food. Mm-hmm. So can I just tell you that this soup is perfectly all right. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to get Effie to remake it and you're going to have it for breakfast and you will be hungry and you will eat it. And the next morning I got up and I ate that soup. And it was such a good life lesson because I now couldn't eat anything apart from oysters, which I'm terribly allergic. It doesn't happen though, that. And it should do. I mean, that's, that's maybe... It, what, do you mean, what do you mean it doesn't happen? No, no, the life lessons that you've just... Well, well maybe not the alcohol one, yeah, but, but the eating one, definitely, yes. Yeah, but they should, they should do. And it's, and it's a caring thing for parents to yes. do because it's shows that but it just prepares you for life and you have to be ready for life because life is tricky and you've got to shake it by the scruff of the neck and have fun but you also can't appear picky johnny we're coming to the end now i'm afraid we are just about to wind up so it's always so nice to talk to you james or talk at you (laughs) Um. (laughs) so thank you johnny roxborough such covered a prolific reeler prolific anti-woker avid collector of beautiful things avoider of the death room, desirer of a golden Iranian, someone who isn't yet over the rainbow, and without doubt, both the king and queen of our industry. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you wish to join RSVP, please go to the website, rsvp.club, or email me, james at rsvp.club. Our next large event is in Istanbul in April 2024. See you all next week.